the ANA Master Circle podcast. I'm Andrew Somer. Bringing together subject matter experts from across the ANA and industry leaders, this podcast covers the issues that impact marketers in creating a stronger and more sustainable economic future for our brands and the people they serve. Each month, we'll focus on one of the 12 growth points of the ANA Master Circle. Today's podcast dives into the talent and the marketing organization as Paul Robinson, the ANA's Director of Commerce and Content Marketing, sits down with Jeff Cologne, head of the brand content studio at Microsoft, to discuss the challenges of hiring and retaining talent, how to balance the need for generalists and specialists, and creating bench strength within the marketing organization. Good morning. I'm here with Jeff Cologne, who is our, the head of brand studio at Microsoft Advertising. First of all, Jeff, how are you doing today? How's everything? I'm good, Paul. Yeah, great to hear from you. I've been hunkered down out in Seattle for the last eight plus weeks and just working from home and trying to, you know, make things happen. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you for joining us today relative to talking about talent and talking about this from a Microsoft perspective. Jeff, as we sit here today, right, the ability to attract and retain new marketing talent is continues to be a major challenge for brands and organizations. There's a lot of factors for, for that. Obviously, things like the evolving digital landscape, verse and multicultural consumers. We now are in the midst of COVID-19, so we have a talent pool that probably has never been deeper. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Microsoft. Satya Nadella, the CEO, has embraced this culture of learn it all curiosity that kind of emphasizes both soft skills as well as technical prowess. So I'm curious, how, when you're building your teams, do you build these skills? How do you hire for this combination of skills in order for both Microsoft as well as the employees to continue on the growth path? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. You know, for a long time, we've divided skills, I think, in a number of different disciplines, specifically marketing, on hard skills and soft skills. It's interesting because we've actually started to use a little bit of different language, and we still say hard skills or technical skills, as you mentioned, Paul. But soft skills, no, we, we now refer to them almost as human capabilities. That way we say, like, hey, what's a person's technical prowess? and what's their human capabilities. And what falls in there is basically everything we've known as soft skills for a period of time. How does someone relate to other people? How do they creatively think? How can they get a consensus of an opinion amongst a group of people who may have varying opinions and you're trying to sort of move a strategy forward? What we've discovered is that's been important for many years. Now with the COVID-19 situation, I think that's even more important. You look at a lot of marketing leaders and they're saying, hey, these human capabilities, these soft skills are very important to who we hire. Maybe even more important than the technical prowess, which as we all know, you can learn and unlearn a number of those things. I mean, there's a number of people I have worked with in the past uh, uh, year or so that have told me, hey, here's what I've gotten doing. I've gotten better at doing creating content. I've gotten better using a spreadsheet to do financial management of my marketing plans. I've gotten better with running return on investment forecasts. Those are hard skills that I think a lot of us can learn. It's a, I think it's a much more difficult thing to learn human capabilities, but that's also possible as well. I mean, Satya Nadella, our CEO, refers to that all the time. If you, Humans are not, uh, we're not fit. You're not just born where you say, okay, this is all I'm able to do. Uh, the whole point is that that you have the ability to grow and learn and relearn from the mistakes that you might make. And that I think is really important in 
terms of how you staff teams, who you go after in this space. I also think it helps a lot in terms of, you know, forecasting what your marketing strategy might be. Because if you have a group of people who can creatively and critically think about things, they're able to look at situation around them and say, is this going to come across tone deaf? Is there a better way for us to do this? What do we use? So it's, I think, a pretty exciting time in the working world right now with a lot of the transitions that are happening that we're basically discussing more and more about these human capabilities. Wow, that's fascinating. That's really super interesting. When you're dealing with the hiring and even obviously the retaining, there's a balance of this generalist and a specialist. And I think you guys might have a lot of folks that fall into both sides of that. So tell me if you can, some of your strategies and how you help with recruiting different the different specialists versus generalists, as well as maybe retaining them as well. Yeah, you know, this has been an interesting discussion. And uh, I've had this talk with a, a number of um, neuroscientists on, you know, who should you hire for? Like, like what's important? Is it is the context of the world you're in at a given time? Also, does that play into it as, as well? And it's interesting in the sense that there are certain areas where subject matter experts, specialists are very important. You know, you're not going to get rid of that overnight. It's You can't say to someone who knows how to code HTML and can build websites from scratch, hey, you know, we don't really need your specialties right now as we build a website. I mean, that's important. You need people who have different specialized skills in different areas, depending on what you're actually trying to do. That said, it's uh, there's been a lot of studies also on the fact people who are exposed to a lot of different things over their career, the generalists, do very, very well because they're able to pull all these elements from their different um, the different um, responsibilities that they've had, different experiences that they've had, and apply that to their day to day. So you know, someone who let's say is a chief marketing officer who may have bought media for much of their career, that is very helpful helpful when they enter more of a chief marketing officer role because they have more of this generalist background. They understand like what goes into the day-to-day of that. They understand what goes into managing an agency. They understand what goes into what metrics they want to actually measure. So I think the debate is still out on that, but but right now, I think generalists are are definitely in demand, um, especially as long-term planning comes more into focus, because I don't think companies want to be caught flat-footed again. Granted, this uh, the pandemic that we're in is one of these things that people say is like once every 100 years, but there will probably be other things that will upend business. And I think the next uh, five to 10 years, we might see more companies saying, let's hire generalists who understand the entire dynamic but, and also maybe understand what to do in case we run into a situation that we, that's unexpected and they may bring something to that position. Let me ask you this. Where do you see the opportunity or where do you guys hire for that generalist? In what types of roles do you bring someone in or look to backfill or promote what have you in order to leverage that generalist skill set? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting, like more and more I'm finding data science to go. It started really as a specialist role. And it's now becoming more of a generalist role. And what I mean by that is there are a number of people I work with who do not have a PhD in mathematics, 
who are great data scientists who are more of that generalist background. They may have had a number of different roles at different companies over the last 10 years. They may have always been really good at math, but they've also been very good at storytelling. We forget that side of the spectrum, Paul, when it comes to data science. We think like, oh, you just have to be good at crunching numbers. No, you have to be able to tell a story around what those numbers mean and where you might actually be able to go with that. And so I think those roles are actually pivoting from specialist to general. I think strategists have always been business strategists or analysts have always been good if they have a generalist background, which also sounds strange. You might have a person who says, hey, my specialty is in financial services. I know everything about credit card companies, banks, any financial services company out there. I understand that. But at the same time, they have to be generalists in understanding how those companies change, how regulation may affect them, what technology they're adopting, how consumer behavior is reshaping a lot of those industries. So I think, you know, anybody in the analyst world, anyone in the strategist world, any anyone in the data science world, anyone in like, I think number of marketing roles really needs that. I think even if you're a specialist, let's say in performance marketing, you buy all the, the media on a search and display networks, you buy a lot of social media advertising, you still have to understand like, well, what's the creative play that we're, you know, that the brand is trying to go after so that you can get the best creative elements. You can actually write the most important copy, you can figure out what works the best. Having just specialty in, you know, one area doesn't let you see the whole picture. And I think that's what more and more we're, we're asking people to see. That's pretty fascinating. I did not expect you to, to say that data scientist was a, <laughs> a sweet spot for the generalist. That one kind of really surprised me. Makes a lot of sense with the storytelling and that perspective and content marketing and things, but I didn't expect that answer. So that's very insightful. So I think something I just think is newer in the last couple of years. Fascinating. I guess when you look at a modern marketer and their skill set, how would you break out, what are the things that you would say are part of that, that skill set or that toolkit for the modern marketer? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been debated quite a bit past couple of years. And there was a misnomer where you had a traditional marketer who really had to understand, you know, the fees, price and positioning. They also had to understand communications. How are you going to communicate what that product is? You know, what is its value proposition? What solution does it provide? Who should use it? What, who's the audience for it? Who's the audience that would influence that audience? And then somewhere along the line, someone basically said, hey, modern marketers are, are more important than that. What we really need are people who just understand technology and tools and how to set all these systems up and can make these things basically happen. And I would say now that the you know we have a clear indication of what's going on in the world, both of those elements are really important to a modern marketer. I think you know you need someone who under who needs to understand what a marketer's responsibility is in terms of understanding the customer, understanding research around consumer behavior, understanding what are the creative elements that help persuade people to adopt or take an action. At the same time, they need a balance of understanding what are the technologies that you can use within your infrastructure to make those things happen so that maybe they're more automated, they're easier to use, there is less friction for the customer. So I think it's a balance of both worlds. It's very hard to find those hybrids out there because some people come from one area, some people come from another. I think marketing, a lot like economics, the field of economics is really a hybrid discipline and one that is a perfect balance of art and science. And so I think we're going to see more of that, especially with where we are in the world right now, 
where, you know, creative messages really do resonate with people. I, you know, you're not going to just say, hey, we have the ability to go and do these things because of the technology. That's not enough when people are looking for empathy, when they're looking for more emotion from companies, when they're looking for more of like, okay, I feel secure in sort of like working with this company or buying from this company or doing business with this company. And so that all that comes into place. I think there's a perfect balancing act. And that I think has made it more difficult to hire marketers for specific senior positions in the past couple of years. Excellent. So I guess building on that, when you think about talent intelligence, right? Like what are the types of intelligence that you look for or you observe in high achievers or you try to, in some cases, maybe even help build for some of your team? Is there anything specific that kind of comes to mind? Big one, Paul, is emotional intelligence. I mean, I know that this term has been thrown around a bit the past couple of years, but I can't overstate the fact that it's really important. And it's important for two reasons. One, emotional intelligence makes someone in a marketing position understand who, what does the target audience or demographic think, feel, and see? Because if you understand that, you understand the emotions that will help drive them to take an action. At the same time, internally, that's important because you want people who also can fit the dynamic of a group that they might work work in and understand how to communicate with other people. I mean, as we all know, all roles are collaborative. Even if you're like a small business owner, it's still collaborative because you have partners and other vendors that you have to do business with. You still have customers that you have to do business with. But in most roles, you're basically working with teams. Those teams might be in different physical locations, or you may be in the same physical office, but you may only come together at certain times. And I think having that emotional intelligence works really well if you're able to sit at the table and say, okay, I'm reading this person this way. They're not happy with this plan. Let me go see what's bothering them about that so I can basically get them to understand the dynamics of what we're trying to do. I think emotional intelligence has actually helped anyone who's been in a marketing position communicate better with maybe their chief technology officer or their chief financial officer, people that they need to build consensus with before they get you know big budgets to spend on specific items. So that's that's an area that I think we haven't talked enough about when it comes to hiring on how important that is both from an external and an internal standpoint. But I think like any intelligence someone brings, you know, whether it's emotional, basically whether it's they have a better understanding, you know, in terms of, of math or language or bodily kinesthetics or whatever it might be. There's this belief that there's nine different types of intelligence. I think all that can be applied to the real world. And all those types of intelligence are important in terms of how you build a well-rounded team. You don't want too much of one thing because then your team might be like pretty much alpha red. And you don't want too much of another where your team is like emotional green. You really want a, a mix of, of people who are red, green, yellow, and blue just to use colored psychology here on your team, because that makes it more well-rounded. And what I mean by the color spectrum there is red might be people who are more forefront. Hey, this is what I expect and this is what I want. But if you balance that with someone who's yellow, who's more social and says, well, hey, what, you know, let's figure this out rather than trying to make a more dictator standpoint. And then you have someone who's green, who's like, let's bring the group along. And then you have someone who's blue, who's more 
on the analytical side, hey, let's look at the numbers. That balance really helps, I think, teams move forward and do some interesting work. That's fascinating. I love that, the way you're positioning that with colors and things. I think that helps really kind of bring it to life. When you think about gaps in skills, right, the things that people currently, those areas that maybe are blind spots or gaps or what have you, where do you see the biggest gaps today within hiring? And then I guess, where do you see that in the future? And then kind of building on that, what do you do currently to kind of train people against those gaps? I think the interesting thing is writing is probably the most important skill anyone could have regardless of what they do. Talk to a lot of engineers at Microsoft and I've always asked them, you know, what's the most important skill you have? And you know, Paul, you think they're going to say like, oh, I can, I code in 20 languages or I can do this pivot table within Excel. No, they always come back and say like writing is the most important skill for me because it allows me to actually get my ideas accepted by a larger group of people. You know, you don't build anything just by saying, hey, this technology works. You get it built because you say this technology works and let me explain what it can do. And so writing is a skill that I I really look at for almost anybody in any marketing position that is out there. It doesn't matter if it's a more math-centric position, which usually acquisition roles are. If you, you know, if you talk to any acquisition marketer, it's all math because it's how many numbers did we bring in this month? How many people did we convert? How many people did we lose to churn? How much money are we spending per customer? You know, you hear this constantly in business, but those people have to be very good at communicating and writing because they have to put reports together that also make sense in terms of here's what's happening. Here's our recommendation. That's very important in terms of having someone who can explain that in a very human manner. Because again, when you're in a room with a lot of marketers on a big team, and I'm using the example of our team at Microsoft Advertising, like how many people are on that? You know, there may be 75 people around the world that are on that marketing team. You just, you have to be, everyone has to be good at writing. And so I think that's an important skill that I really look for. And I think if someone says, well, I'm not a good writer, I think you can get to that, you know? And the way you get to that is you just write more. I mean, as we know, If you want to be a good public speaker, you got to speak more. If you want to be a good writer, you just have to write more and you have to read more because reading actually helps influence how you write. So I think that's a very important area. I think the other area is how people interrelate with others, because I think we're in the business in terms of marketing, which is all about persuasion, but you can't persuade unless you have an understanding of how they behave, what motivates them. I think what we get wrong a lot when it comes to marketing or sales is we still sort of ascribe to the, well, you know, we exist for the reason of selling. And of course you say to yourself, yeah, that's ultimately what we want to get to. But you also are really in the business of understanding people because then you can make that sale. And we, we want to almost rush to the bottom of the funnel to use that analogy too much in the business. And I think uh, if we just have people who say, hey, I understand things and, and I'm trying to understand people, that, that's a very important area that we want. And that, again, is for any area, marketing, engineering, whatever you're doing. I think you have to understand people because you have to understand what what solution you're building for them. I mean, even if you're in engineering, I mean, if you think about it, I remember an old professor in in college said this to me who was a physics professor. He said, Jeff, engineers build things for people. So like, again, you have to have a fundamental understanding of like, what motivates people? What do they want? And what solutions are they looking for? I think if, if we don't hire for that and we continue to hire where we index heavy on the hard skill side, that's where 
where we have a lot of turnover because yes, we have lots of people who can do jobs, but we don't have people who really understand why they're doing those jobs. Excellent. You actually segued into where I wanted to kind of take this in conclusion. And I guess I'll start with this. You know, obviously we have a lot of virtual graduations going on right now. Unfortunately, they're not live and in person, but let's pretend you're now giving that commencement speech at your alma mater and you're talking to the 21-year-old version of yourself. What would your advice be for those that are looking for this career in marketing? And where what would you tell them to think about or, or kind of do in order to put themselves in a position for long-term success? That's a great question, by the way, Paul. I mean, I ask myself that, I think, every year. Like, what do I want to do over the next five years? And I think we should ask that. But your question in terms of someone who's 21 or 22 and graduating from college and sort of trying to get their foot in the door, so to speak, or trying to find their way. A lot of times people will start with, hey, where do you imagine yourself in 50 years? And I think analogy, because you look at the long term of where you want to be. The problem with that, though, is there's so many changes in the world in the next 50 years. Heck, there may be so many in the next couple of years that it's hard to really understand where we might be. I think those questions were better suited for you know different, uh, different areas. What I would say to someone who is graduating right now is don't be too concerned with, hey, I got a job, but it's, it's not really in marketing. It's doing something else. Because if you are going to build up to wanting to get a job in marketing or another field, it's having that exposure to different areas that makes you a good generalist, so to speak. So it goes back to this whole discussion around how do you use all these experiences to build up to something that becomes an interesting role at a company. And granted, most jobs are probably going to hire someone who's out of school. Hey, we want you to do this specific task, or we want we want you to do this specific thing for us that might be a little bit more on the elementary side that requires less experience. And that's okay, because that's, you know, those are, I think, are the types of things that we all do when we get out of school. I mean, I basically did what I think most people did post-college, waited tables, did uh, administrative work was like an assistant. Just did whatever I could to just be around interesting people and learn from them. That's the other thing that I think we miss from, hey, I want to get this specific job is not about getting a specific job when you're out of school. It's being around people who are interesting and influential that you can learn from. I mean, anybody would probably die to take a job as an administrative assistant at a company if they could be around interesting senior people in the business world. That's how you learn. You're not going to become them overnight, but you're going to learn from them what to do, what not to do. And that really helps when you continue to build your credentials over time. And I think it's also important to take some things that you might say, yeah, I have like 60% of the experience in this role, but I don't have the other 40%. Because, you know, Richard Branson, who I actually worked for one of his companies from 1999 to 2002, I remember him saying many times, most people fake it. Most people fake that other 40% or that other 30%. And I tell this a lot to people who I mentor is don't worry about having 100% of the experience. What the job recruiter wants to know is, hey, can you do a majority of it? And then can you sort of figure out the rest in real time? And that goes back to that, what we talked about before. Do you have enough of that emotional intelligence to figure out or that creative intelligence or those human capabilities to figure out the rest of it as it's happening in real time? And if you can do that, I think you'll have a, a really fun time sort of experiencing the world of work. That's awesome. So 
One more, if you were going to recommend a book or two within the business realm, I know you read a lot for the audience. What might those be currently? I think one of them is a good book. Actually, Bill Gates um, added on his summer reading list. I just ordered it, read a bunch of the liner notes, read, read a bunch of the reviews, looking forward to it. It's called Good Economics for Hard Times. It's two MIT economists that uh, wrote this book. I think it's perfect timing for where we are in the world. And I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how we, what innovation comes from sort of this downturn. If we look at every past downturn, some of the most uh, interesting companies were founded during recessions. IBM was founded during a recession. General Motors was founded during a recession. Microsoft was founded during a recession. So I think those are things that we want to look at is what could be the interesting opportunities. I'm a big fan of Yuval Noah Harari, who is an Israeli scholar. He's written a number of different books. He wrote a book called Homo Do that I definitely think everyone should read. But he wrote a really great book that I read this past year called uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. That book is was so relevant pre-COVID, and it's even more relevant now. And so I tell a lot of people, if you really want to understand where like humanity is going, and that's really, I think, in the business of everyone to understand where humanity is going. That's such a fascinating book. It's actually a quick read, and he writes in a very humorous style that uh, I think we all can relate to. That's awesome. Now I have some things to go order myself. I appreciate <laughs> that. I guess lastly, just uh, I know you have your own podcast. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Doing it for maybe too long now. I actually founded the. I started the podcast in the in my uh, apartment in uh, Brooklyn back in 2010, and had been basically recording it for a really long time. And then in uh, 2018, I rebranded it, revamped it, brought on some new producers to help there. Um, it's a weekly podcast. It's called Disruptive FM. It's sort of a play on the fact that FM radio is not really disruptive whatsoever. So sort of an oxymoron, but uh, we do three trending topics and we interview a subject matter expert on one of those trending topics. And then we look at uh, what's on the radar and we usually do like a special segment of what interesting books are out there and other interesting things happen in the business world. It's really a culture of business podcast. It's a lot of fun. I actually enjoy recording that every week. Um, I used to be a voracious blogger. And I just feel like podcasts have uh, helped me sort of carry that on. But instead of writing something that I publish, now I write scripts that I basically then are able to, you know, read and, and interview and talk about different topic areas that I find pretty fascinating in the business world. Awesome. Well, Jeff Cologne, again, thank you so much for the time. We really do appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love hearing your insights and you always uh, add value in all the time that we spend Together. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Paul and Jeff, for a great podcast. To our listeners, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the ANA Master Circle Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and most podcast players. For more information on the ANA Master Circle, please visit ana.net/slash Master Circle.